Hello and welcome to another episode of the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. Now, this is a special guest episode that I recorded with Sarah Holden and Tina Kilroy. And the reason why this episode is special, it's special for a lot of different reasons, but they're the first women I've had on the podcast. It's the first time I've done a podcast with two other people instead of just one other person. And it's kind of a big deal. They work for the ICI, which is the Investment Company Institute, and they literally do research on investing for all kinds of different accounts for all different sorts of generations. And they have and they're about to share a wealth of knowledge with us. And it's really exciting that these people are coming on the show and that they're literally coming on just to share so that we can do better financially. And I know that, you know, unemployment right now is high. So for those of us who have, for those of us who still are employed, who are still working, who are still getting a paycheck, I think it's important now to start building the habits that you want to go back. When things do go back to whatever the new normal is, when you go back there, you want to make sure that you're primed financially to just keep on growing, 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 because that's what we're all about here on the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. And for me, when I first started listening, when I first started getting into financial literacy, when I first started like caring about wanting to become a millionaire, the first thing I did was read a lot of books and listen to a lot of podcasts. And I get that when uh, usually when we're listening to podcasts, we're on the way to work or we're running or we're, you know, working out or we're doing something that we can't like, you know, be taking notes, be doing things. But I think it's important to maybe like leave like maybe a voice memo for yourself or like write down like a little note just to uh like you know just for something that you hear in the show that you might want to just kind of like write in your journal about just to kind of like get yourself thinking about it so if they mention something you know pause it maybe make a note in your phone just mentioning what it is they're talking about and just go look that up because that's how you end up learning more about money that's how you end up learning more about the kind of different tools that are out there to help you so that, yeah, that's all I got for the intro. Please do click all the links that they that I have inside the bio. Follow them. I uh, put in their Twitter, their Facebook, their LinkedIn, the websites where you can go see all the research they're about to mention. Everything that you would need to know after this episode is inside the bio. So please make sure you go click that up. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do because like, you know, like on this episode, I always got really cool people coming on. If you want to get your financial game up, you know, this is the place to be. Subscribe. If you're already subscribed, make sure you leave a rating and a review so that other people know that they should subscribe and leave ratings and reviews. And we're going to keep it going like that. Thank you so much. Everybody stay safe. Make sure that you do not keep it 100, though. You keep it 1 million like we do here on the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. Thank you. And welcome back. This is the Millennial to Millionaire podcast with your host, Paris Grant. And on this very, very special episode, it's monumental, in fact, I not only have two guests, but I actually have the first women to ever join me on the show. Joining me is Sarah Holden and Tina Kilroy. Now, Sarah is the Senior Director in Retirement and Investor Research at the Investment Company Institute, which is the leading association representing regulated funds globally, including U.S. mutual funds and exchange-traded funds, ETFs. She has a PhD in economics and has studied retirement trends and policy, as well as the behavior in, uh, of investors for decades. And then we have Tina, who is the vice president of the Education Foundation, 
leading the efforts of the investment company institute to develop and deepen investor education resources and partners with the ICI members and other organizations to enhance financial literacy which is what we're all about here on the millennial to millionaire podcast so thank you guys so much for joining me um, happy to do it <laughs> thank you thank you so how did you two go about like meeting each other how like uh how did this come to be uh, well, we're both working for the Investment Company Institute. I think I started here two decades ago, so um, have been at it for a while. And then uh, Tina actually joined us in the research department before working her way up to her current role. And I actually started in ICI's research department on um, one of the statistical collections that Sarah oversees. So I've worked with her since day one at the foundation. I mean, at the got investment it. So what are we going to be talking about today, ladies? So I think today I wanted to uh, talk about uh, millennials and where they are. We've got some statistics uh, on sort of what they're up to and then I'll focus a bit in on uh, ways that they could focus on saving for retirement or for education. So forward looking goals. Got it. Got it. So, so the thing about personal finance is that it is very personal. Do you guys live by the rules that you know that you guys might be suggesting? How do you guys go about implementing like the advice that you give up that you give out, or how do you guys use the information that you have access to to become like I guess more financially liter literate yourselves? Well, I think the big thing is that everybody everybody's situation is different, Got so it. we often um, sort of give guidelines, and Sarah always has a great look at what people are actually doing because she actually has hard data on what's happening. Um, but I think Sarah and I both are sort of tend to be frugal people, <laughs> so we do take our own advice in that way and trying to be money smart. And um, we definitely watch um, watch our sort of purchases where we can. I think we're both avid lunch bringers from home, um, and we have different other ways that we're sort of frugal. I like to do a lot of free activities with my family and try to find um, fun experiences that we can do that don't cost a lot of money. Um, I'm fortunate to live in the DC area here where um, all the Smithsonian museums are here um, and, and are free and the National Zoo is here. So there's a lot of opportunities for us to have a lot of fun and not spend a lot of money. Good stuff. That's what we're all about here on the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. So who are millennial investors? What kind of data have you guys found about like, uh, I guess, millennials when it comes to saving, different trends you've seen when it comes to saving, investing, budgeting? Um, yeah, what can you tell us about that? Sure, so um, in 2019, uh, there were about 33 million households that were headed by millennials. Uh, millennials are born between 1981 and 1996. So they're 23 to 38 years old. So they're sort of in their 20s and 30s. And, you know, there's a, a whole lot of uh, sort of talk about, you know, millennials are sort of behind in, in, in saving or buying homes. And, and But I would say we actually have, when we look at the data, some really good news on millennials. Uh, we do a survey each 
spring, after people have done their taxes, they're very aware of what they own and what their income was. And so um, after that, we do a, a household phone survey. And when we uh, talk to these U.S. households, we ask them about uh, their retirement saving, uh, their other investments. We ask them how they feel about risk. And one of the things we do keep track of, whereas we are the Investment Company Institute, we ask them about mutual funds. And already four out of 10 millennial households own mutual funds. Um, so that's a really great statistic for such a young group. And many of them came to own those mutual funds through their retirement plan at work. So the 401k plan is introducing this generation to investing really at a younger age than prior generations. When we look at um, government survey data to find out about savings goals, and we find that uh, when ha these households are asked about their primary savings goals, 15% uh, of them actually say that retirement is their primary savings goal. And that compares to when the baby boomers were their age sort of three decades ago, only 6% of the baby boomers at such a young age said that retirement was their primary goal. So we already have focus on a long-term goal, introduction to saving and investing, you know, through that retirement plan at work. But then you'll also see in the news, and I know you've talked about this on your podcast too, there's the, you know, question of, of debt. And um, the millennial households are actually more likely to have student debt uh, than the generations before them. Uh, so 45% of millennial households do have student loan debt. And it was less than a fifth of the baby boom at about their age. Um, so, you know, they do have a, a juggling act that they're doing, um, but a lot of good news in terms of doing that little by little, getting on the path to saving at work. Got it, got it. And you said that 401k plans is what's kind of introducing them to the world of investing? Yes, that's, uh, that's really, that's the main way in which uh, these young households have been introduced to, to investing, uh, to mutual fund ownership. And I think um, the, the typical story there is you're a young worker and uh, if you're working for the private sector, when you get to your job, the retirement plan that's likely to be offered to you is a 401k plan. Um, and as you know, that's named after the section of the code that it falls under. And with that plan, um, you may be automatically enrolled, in which case, if you do nothing, uh, the employer will sign you up for the plan, um, start contributing money, uh, you know, taking from your paycheck to contribute to the plan. Uh, nine out of 10 401k participants are in plans that actually have employer contributions. And that's one of our, our, our key tips we like to talk about, both Tina and I, in terms of making sure that if you have a retirement plan at work, that you are contributing to get the full employer contribution because often how much you get from the employer depends on how much you put in. And a typical formula would be, if I put in 6% of my pay, they match 50 cents on the dollar, um, I would get another 3% put in by the employer. So overall, I'd be saving 9%, which is a great savings rate, and the employer would be helping me with that. Um, so you want to be sure that you take advantage of uh, that that employer match. And, and really, this is the key way in which so many folks are, you know, paycheck by paycheck, getting started on saving for retirement. 
Now, have you guys collected any data on what millennials are specifically investing in? Like, are there any trends within that? Or is it just kind of personal depending on the individual? So we do see, when we look at, we have a database that we uh, keep in collaboration with the Employee Benefit Research Institute. And in that database, we have 27 million 401k plan participant accounts. And when we look at uh, the asset allocation of 401k plan participants' account balances, we see a very clear pattern uh, that younger participants, uh, so younger investors, uh, tend to be more invested in equities compared to the older participants. Uh, so in the EBRI ICI data, looking at um, the average asset allocation of 401k account balances uh, for folks who are in their 20s or 30s, so these are the millennials, 80% of their 401k balance is invested in equities. And those equities are typically in the form of, they could be in an equity mutual fund, they could be in a balanced mutual fund, they could be in a target date fund, uh, which is a fund that's diversified and when you're young, it's focused on equity investing, reaching for growth. As you age and as the fund approaches and passes the target date, which is the year you expect to retire, it's rebalancing automatically for you to become more focused on income, which is what you'll be focused on when you get to retirement. So we have quite a few of them investing through target date funds. And in the 401k, you may also have the stock of your employer. Um, so if there is company stock, that would be counted in that number as well. So again, if you're in your 20s or 30s, on average, 80% of the 401k account balance is invested in some kind of stock market investment. And if I look at uh, the participants who are in their 60s, it's 55%. So a very clear pattern of uh, younger uh, investors investing more towards growth, so more towards the stock market. Uh, and then we know that investors rebalance over time as they approach retirement to become more focused on uh, fixed income or more income generating investing. And does that follow like a general trend that when you're younger, you invest more aggressively and then since you start and you start tapering it off as you get older, is that like always usually the case? Or do you see like a lot of people who might just if they don't know too much about investing, they might just start investing in like bonds or like fixed income because they don't understand the stock market. Yeah, so the pattern we see is sort of, again, is averages. And so yeah. you'll, you'll find within any age group, there's some folks who are, you know, invested in, you know, 100% in stock or 100% in a money market fund, but, but they're rare. And I think that in the case of the 401k world, uh, there was a change made after 2006 where the Department of Labor uh, made it clear that as the plan sponsor, you could use as your default investment. So if someone didn't tell you where they wanted their money put, or if you automatically enrolled them and you had to put them in some kind of an investment, that the default investment should be diversified. And this is so we end up with many people who are automatically enrolled ending up in basically a target date fund and they're they're basically then getting a diversified portfolio that's appropriate for their age and that will have that growth early in their career and will rebalance for them over time so i think we've had uh, sort of changes over time in the design of 401k plans to make it really easy 
for um, investors to end up on a, a good path in terms of getting started saving and then also getting in, started investing and actually investing um, in a diversified way uh, through funds where you have a professional investment manager making these decisions on what the asset allocation should be for you and helping people have that growth early when they you know have the rest of their career to uh, you know ride this out so to speak and then as they're getting older and approaching retirement uh they are rebalancing it to be focused on income got it got it so you mentioned two things in the beginning of the show you said that 15 percent of millennials are investing primarily for retirement but then you also said that there's a disproportionate amount of us carrying student loan debt so how have you what kind of trends have you seen as far as like juggling the two or is there any advice that you would give between whether I should go invest this money or should I go pay down this like pay off my student loans first then invest um, like what's that juggling act looking like in your perspective. Yeah, so each individual case is different, as we, um, Tina said in the beginning. There's, yeah. But I think in terms of priorities, uh, it really is important if you have a retirement plan at work to make sure that you contribute enough to get that full employer contribution. Because, it, I mean, if I put in a dollar and I get another 50 cents, that is an amazing rate of return right off the bat. Um, so to be sure to take advantage of that. And then after that, um, you need to look at your whole balance sheet and try to you know, figure out, I mean, before the student loan, it probably makes sense to look at credit card debt, which has a much higher interest rate typically. So I, it's really a matter of taking a holistic look at your balance sheet and trying to figure out what kind of rate of return am I getting on investing and what kind of uh, you know, interest or what are my fees? Am I paying on any liabilities that I have and try to uh, work out a way to pay down those high interest uh, debt elements while taking advantage of high rate of return investments? I think it's important to Paris to think yeah. about sort of the opportunity cost of not starting to invest when you're really young. Um, because of compound interest, compound returns, and sort of what your money can do in terms of growth over time. So, of course, what Sarah said and consider your whole balance sheet, but also think about how your money can grow if it's working for you over a long time. Got it, got it. So, um, you mentioned at the beginning of this explanation, uh, looking at your priorities. So, it's like uh, no secret that m millennials, uh, have I guess a different approach when it comes to jobs uh I don't think millennials are really buying a lot of houses right now I know that we're putting off marriage and having kids a lot later on in life uh than I guess previous generations um how does all of this information kind of factor into investing like uh when people are investing for retirement what does like what does retirement I guess look like for a millennial compared to another generation and if you're putting these things off how does that relate to how you should approach investing well, I think um, for the millennials, uh, uh, as you've, you've highlighted, they are indeed, um, you know, starting 
families, buying houses, doing some of those uh, big steps at later ages than the generations before them. I view it as they're kind of pacing themselves because we do have longer uh, life expectancy now. So, uh, you know, you have more time to, to get to these things. And millennials often are getting higher education, which means they're, you know, in school longer. So that would put off buying a house and things like that. Uh, in terms of the path towards retirement, uh, we're now in a system where it's basically defined contribution plans, so like a 401k plan. And the great thing about defined contribution plans or 401k plans is that you can change jobs and the benefit is still yours and it will continue to grow. Uh, so to Tina's point, um, the first dollar at my first job that I put into my 401k it can compound for the rest of my career. And if I keep it invested, I can, you know, maybe able to leave it behind. We find that many people like to roll over to an IRA so they can, you know, keep that money all gathered together so they can keep track of it. Uh, and not, you know, as we tumble through our careers, uh, we can have several jobs and you know, don't want to leave a trail of small accounts behind you. So a lot of folks say, yeah, I wanted to consolidate the money. I wanted to keep track of it. I wanted more investment options, so I went to an IRA. Um, but that first dollar that I contribute will continue to grow for the rest of my career. And that really makes it uh, you know, important to do that a little bit early on because it will compound over my career, but it also is a benefit that stays with me. Whereas um, the plan design of the defined benefit plan, if I was in a defined benefit plan early in my career, there the benefit is based on my salary and the years at the employer. If I leave that employer, in many cases, I didn't even get vested, so I, I didn't earn a benefit. But if I did earn a benefit, it was a locked-in formula based on my salary way back at the beginning of my career. So it, it didn't grow once I left there. Uh, whereas the 401k dollar, it's mine and it grows after I, you know, as I move my way through my career. So I think that um, we'll be uh, with the millennials, uh, they'll be uh, moving through careers with defined contribution plans. Uh, they have the opportunity and possibility to contribute to IRAs or to roll over to IRAs. And um, I am a believer that Social Security will be there for them. Uh, as, and for them, the retirement age at this point will be 67. Uh, but uh, that will be uh, the other com main component, really, of their uh, retirement uh, preparedness. All right. Um, I mean, there's. I kind of want to move this conversation to something else. But before I do that, I want to ask, how do you guys feel about um, like robo advisory and apps? Because uh, you know, like Gen Z millennials were a lot more like tech oriented and savvy. So, and I got my first start investing in with robo advisory. Uh, Betterment. I'm not sure. I'm sure you guys have heard of it. Like Betterment, Wealthfront, apps like this. Um, how do you guys feel about that as far as like getting started investing? Well, I think you're right that millennials are very tech savvy and tech oriented. So I think it's. Um, they're able to access the resources and the investing sort of outlets that they're looking for through these through these apps and these um, vendors. I think it's a great way for them to get introduced to the world of investing. Yeah. And you have a long career ahead of you when you're a millennial. Um, so I think, you know, the earlier, the better. Got it. Got it. So the next question, what should millennials know about investing for the long term? 
we've been talking a lot about 401ks uh, up until this point, and you did mention IRAs just now, um, which is a good option because for people who don't have jobs that offer 401k plans. But um, I guess what sir, like what kind of advice would you give millennials, or what should, kinds of things should they know about when it comes to investing for the long term? Well, I think one thing, um, as Sarah said about the 401k, how valuable the match is in that. If you're offered a 401k, absolutely go ahead and take that. But I think for a millennial um, who may not be offered a 401k yet um, and is interested in saving for the long term, opening up an IRA is a really valuable way to go and to think about saving for the long time horizon that they'll have ahead of them. I think one of the most important things um, is to set up an automatic contribution. Open your IRA and set up an automatic contribution. So every month you're adding some money to your to your IRA. Even if it's a little bit, you don't have a lot of money perhaps to, to set aside, like you said, some millennials are trying to pay off student loan debt or whatever else they're dealing with. Um, so even if it's just a little bit, just setting it up and making a regular automatic sort of no-brainer thing, um, it really has a couple of huge benefits. First you get the benefit of dollar cost averaging. So where over time, the prices of stocks and bonds might go up and down. If you're buying in at a regular time, you sort of have the, the advantage of buying when prices are low, sometimes you'll buy when prices are high, but over time, you have an average price that really takes the emotion out of investing. and just makes it automatic. You're not trying to time the market, you're just in the market for the long term. Got I think it. that's a really important part. And you think it's important when investing to invest for the long term? Um, I mean, I'm sure you guys have heard about like Forex trading is like a pretty like popular thing, cryptocurrency trading, people who like flip stocks. Um, what do you think is the benefit of investing for the long term versus the short term? I think absolutely you need to look at your, like, like Sarah said earlier, your entire balance sheet. You have to think about, do you have an emergency fund? Do you have sort of these long-term goals that you're trying to achieve that you're working towards? If you are, you have an emergency fund and you're setting aside money for your retirement, um, then maybe you can think about doing something else. Um, but we absolutely believe in investing for the long-term. Mutual funds are absolutely wonderful way to go ahead and do that. Um, they provide a lot of benefits for investors who are thinking long-term. Got it, got it. And can you give us a quick explanation of what 529s are? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, as you may know, 520, 529s are named for the section of the tax code um, that provides for them, sort of like 401ks. And there are two, two types of 529 plans. One is called a prepaid tuition plan and one is called a 529 savings plan. The vast majority of um, 529 plans are the savings plan flavor. Um, they've grown in popularity a lot in recent years, and they hold um, more than $327 billion now. The real advantage of 529 plans is that um, when you take money out of the plan to pay for qualifying expenses, which are things like tuition, room and board, um, even books, you don't have to pay federal tax on those expenses and in, mo in most cases you don't have to pay state tax. So that can be a really big benefit for um, families and, and students who are you know, trying to pay for college. And then recently 
529 plans were also broadened so that um, you can even pay for um, other school expenses, not just college. Got it, got it. So there's a, like I got my first, when I first, I guess, got bit by the money bug, when I first started getting really interested in like wealth building and this sort of thing, the first thing that I did was look towards like a lot of books and podcasts on the subject just so I can like get familiar with it. Obviously, it's going to a point now where I have my own podcast. I still read books like very voraciously and I'm always like looking for new ways to like, I guess, learn more. What are some resources or some places that people can go if they want to learn more about investing? Any books you might recommend? Any other, uh, yeah, any resources available to people out there so they can learn more about investing? And Well, I would recommend um, going to our website, which is um, for the foundation is ICIEF.org. And we have a page on there that's resources for investors. And it links to um, some really great resources, both our own and then also some sort of trusted third-party resources. Um, one of the links on there is to ICI's resource centers and FAQs. We have one on 529 plans, um, as well as some on 401k investing and IRA investing. Um, so that's a great place to start. Um, and you can get to our all our research, research from there too. And I'll be linking that inside the show notes for anybody who uh, couldn't catch that. It'll be a link you guys can just go click on right there. So now, you guys told me that you, you guys have three long-term saving tips to help people move from millennial to millionaire. You want to tell us what they are and explain them to us? Yeah, sure. So I think that uh, the, the first savings tip is, uh, you know, it's every little bit counts and be sure to take advantage of that employer money if you can. So I think uh, uh, just, just do it. Uh, just pay for yourself for the future and put money, whether it's into a 401k or whether you set up automatic contributions to an IRA, um, you know, your older self will thank your younger self in years to come. Um, yeah, and second, I would say just start somewhere. <laughs> Every little bit helps and starting now rather than starting later is the smart way to go. And I want to like go ahead and just piggyback off that to anybody listening. Um, I know it's it can be very hard and I guess discouraging when you because we think of investing as something that like rich people do. Uh, so it could be like, oh, like, wasn't it really matter if I put in $20 here, $50 here? Like, you know, people think that if they're not putting in big numbers that they're not going to be able to get like, you know, it's not going to build up over time, which is not true. So I do want to thank you for saying that. And before we go on to like the third thing, um, mm -hmm. I want to ask I want to ask both of you what kind what led you to this industry like what had what drives you to continue to be working in finance and doing this research and like kind of helping other people be better when it comes to investing uh, i started actually i'm an economist and uh, this is sarah i started at the federal reserve board um working in the research division there so the fed of course uh, is in charge of monetary policy and um, puts out a lot of data on uh, U.S. households and the economy. And there uh, shifted my focus from international to retirement because it struck me as such an important thing. And being young, I hadn't thought about it. I actually am someone who, you know, I didn't know what a 401k plan was uh, back when I was in school. And so I think that um, having sort of come to it as an area that was within a broader picture of the U.S. economy 
and recognizing that it really was important uh, that people take advantage of their employer-sponsored plan or under, and understand them. So understand if you're in a defined benefit plan, what do you have to do to actually get the benefit from it? And if you're in the 401k plan, how do you make sure you take full advantage of it? And, you know, since 1974, you can open up an IRA for yourself, and that's a great thing uh, for folks to do, but people need to be aware of it. And I think the Investment Company Institute, we have a big research department, so we do research, uh, we do gather data, we're very fact-based, and we have our members who are out there in the financial services industry who are really on the front lines trying to help people save for retirement and other important goals. So people are saving for education, uh, they're saving to buy a home, uh, they're saving to have a, a, just a, a nest egg to the side for other bigger big purchases. So there's a really, uh, you know, behind the whole uh, sort of research here and what our, the work our members are doing is really to help Americans get on that path to having, you know, financial security uh, now and, you know, down the road in their sort of, you know, golden years. Got it. Got it. Really good stuff. Um, so, okay, this is another question. It's really cool that, I mean, I did not know that you were an economist, which is pretty cool. Uh, so I've been investing since I was 21 years old. I started in 2017 and we're in 2020 at the time of recording this. And I'm not a genius investor. I'm not Warren Buffett, but you know, the stock market's been very, like very good to me in the sense that like, you know, I'm getting solid returns. Uh, I invest pretty conservatively. I invest using funds as well, but I've never seen like a down year or a recession or anything like that before. So it's a two part question. One, how do you feel about the current economy, the current stock market? And then two, what advice can you give for when times are not so good? Yeah, so um, to that, I just look to our data. So we've been collecting data for decades, actually. Um, but when we look uh, specifically at the behavior of retirement savers, we have data through the financial market crisis. So um, 2007, we had a market high. By March 2009, we've lost a whole lot of market value. And there was a lot of and concern about well what will investors do and what impact will this have because you know when the market deals you a, a blow like that um, it is worrisome to folks your your nest egg does go down and this is where luckily the design of the 401k really helped people stay the course and so uh, we started doing surveys of, of individuals to ask them how they felt about their 401k plans through that very difficult time and they still had a favorable view, they still had confidence in them. And then we started a survey of the firms that do the record keeping uh, for those plans to see whether people kept contributing. And people kept contributing and that, you know, did basically really serves you well if you're buying paycheck by paycheck because when the market is down, stocks are cheap. And then when it comes back up again, you ride the market back up. So I think uh, really the the discipline uh, of the system, it's a long-term process saving for retirement, but it's a process that you do little by little, usually every two weeks, <laughs> this is sort of the frequency or every month, um, putting in to that account and just buying little by little. So I think really the, when we, I talk to participants, they say, you know, I'm not worried about short-term fluctuations because I know I'm doing this little by little. 
and my plan helps me think about the long term, not just my current needs. And those two things really, um, I think, help people stick with it. And you know, to your point earlier, um, you know, decades ago we looked at uh, you know stock ownership in the United States, and it was a minority of households that owned stocks, not you know just a few wealthy households. And now more than half of U.S. households are partaking of the U.S. stock market. So it really is Main Street has access to invest in, you know, our, U- our U.S. companies and even and internationally as well. And, you know, a lot of it's through uh, that retirement saving and a lot of it's through a pooled product, uh, whether it's a mutual fund, because for me to buy the S&P 500, I personally couldn't do that myself. I don't have enough money but I can go into an S&P 500 index fund and own a little bit of that whole broad swath of the market. Or I could get an exchange traded fund. Uh, so there's lots of uh, ways for uh, the, you know, every investor, whether you're big, small, to get to a diversified portfolio and really um, be able to take advantage of the market. Got it, got it. And I'm nearing the end of the show. Can you talk to us about how important it is to diversify? It was sure. Yeah. So I think diversification, the idea there would simply be, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. And, and if you, you know, the idea of diversification too, is it sort of helps spread out the risk. And I think the main diversification that goes on for people is, you know, it has to do with how much is stock versus how much is some fixed income like a bond or a cash investment um, so that they are in a position where when I am still saving and I don't have to tap the account, I can go for the growth. But when I get to retirement and I'm going to start spending some of that, I really want to be thinking about, well, do I have a, you know, a cash reserve I can take money out of? Do I have an income stream coming in that I can rely on? Uh, so I think that the, the idea behind diversification is really it's, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket and that will help you manage risk. And to your point too, Paris, about um, market volatility, how you said you hadn't really seen a down market. Diversification really helps too, where it's hard from year to year to pick a winner every year. So diversification helps so that, you know, you might have a whole basket of stocks and bonds. One of them might have a down year, one of them might have a great year, but on the whole, you're sort of protecting yourself from those deeper drops that you would have otherwise had. Got it, got it. So, uh, you know, take, I guess taking a step back, we're talking a lot about like, you know, uh, Tina and Sarah as people who, you know, have all this research, who have been working in the industry for so long. Um, and I'm sure that my audience is going to love everything that you've had to say so far because you've been very insightful. And I want to thank you guys for explaining everything the way you do, because I think when it comes to investing, it can be very confusing to a lot of people. And that's what makes it scary, which is why some people don't do it. So I think that having these conversations and talking about it the way that you guys do really is going to help a lot of people be able to kind of demystify it and get started if they haven't already. Now, the this is like the question I always ask people towards the end of the show. Taking all this away, you know, taking the title away, you don't work at the Institute anymore. You're just like you as people. What kind of advice would you give to some uh, to my audience as far as different principles or different values that you have that have kind of got you to this point? I I think um, 
<laughs> it's hard to take off your you know, <laughs> professional hat sometimes. Exactly. But, um, <laughs> I think on a personal note, don't be afraid to try something that you're interested in, um, especially for somebody young, just starting out. I think sort of follow your interests and and the rest will, will follow naturally. If you find something to do that you really love, um, you'll never work a day in your life and you'll find a way to make a living doing it, so. I guess I would go with a sort of some uh, financial <laughs> or economic advice. Uh, and that is um, with, you know, whether you're uh, with getting a stipend or whether you have a job, whatever earnings or money you have coming in, um, think about putting, saving some of it. Uh, so save some of it for the long term, save some of it for an emergency fund for when the car breaks down or something like that. Share some of it. Uh, so there's, you know, other folks out there who, who need help uh, and, you know, to try to do something uh, to, to help, uh, you know, whatever group that may be that you're interested in helping. And then after you've done those two things, uh, what's left is what you can spend. And, uh, and I think uh, sort of approaching each paycheck that comes in that way will help you um, and help others uh, to, to have a, a sort of a good life really good stuff from both of you i really like that um especially what you said about giving uh donating like the same way i just talked about how a lot like i know some people or i've seen a lot of people who think that investing is just a thing that rich people do uh i used to have that same kind of approach when it came to donating that i thought like oh i'll donate when i have enough but just the same as investing i think that there's no such thing as like a small sum of money and i think that the concept of doing it and building up that pattern of doing it even when you don't have a lot of money donating uh if you do it when you don't have a lot of money you'll definitely do it when you do have a lot of money so i think that's a really cool way to that's a really good way of looking at it and uh yeah i want to thank you guys for that now if my audience wants to hear more what links uh where can they find you tell us everything yeah, so um, ICI.org uh, has all of our research. So a lot of the numbers that I talked about are published in reports there. We also have resource centers. Uh, so you can go to an IRA resource center and it will tell you all about um, IRAs, the rules involved, the money involved, what people do with them. We have a 401k resource center. Uh, so we have all sorts of uh, different links within ICI.org where you can research um, whether it's the IRA, the 401k, if you're in a 403b, which is another type of defined contribution plan, or uh, 529 plans. Uh, so again, a, a wealth of information, both in terms of, well, what have other folks done? Because I, I find it helpful to, you know, myself personally, to sort of get a sense of, well, for my age and for how long I've been at the job, you know, what's the average account balance? What's the average asset allocation? You know, how does what I'm doing compared to sort of what the rest of the folks are doing uh, is helpful. Um, you can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, both ICI and ICI Education Foundation. So be sure to follow us on there and you can get the latest on all the research that we're doing and all the events and activities that we're up to. Yes. And then on the ICI Education Foundation's website um, is also a great place to go, which is ICIEF.org. Perfect, perfect. Now, was there anything that we didn't get a chance to cover, anything you might be thinking of right now that you want to leave the audience with? 
There was one little thing which we didn't um, mention back when we were talking about the 529 plans. Uh, there was a recent change actually in the law. So in December, uh, the SECURE Act, which is setting every community up for retirement enhancement, uh, passed. And as part of that act, there was a change to what um, 529 distributions can be used for. And actually, uh, you can now use 529 to pay um, qualified loan repayments. Uh, it's a $10,000 uh, limit over the lifetime of the beneficiary. But for millennials who are possibly still in school, have debt, um, given the tax advantages of the 529 and how that varies by state, they, it might make sense to look into uh, whether they could take advantage of that. Got it, got it. Noted. Um, I love a good acronym, and that's definitely something useful because, like you just said, we have a disproportionate amount of uh, student loan debts to pay off. So I hope somebody, hope you guys listened to all the way through the end there. Uh, was there anything else that we forgot to cover? No? Thanks, so. Sounds good. <laughs> I just want to make sure that everybody gets the maximum value from the episode. Uh, all right. Thank you guys so much for joining me on the show. You have given me a wealth of knowledge, and I'm sure that the audience is going to love it. All the links that they've mentioned so far, everyone, are going to be inside the bio. So make sure that you go ahead and click it up. Make sure you follow them. Get all the latest research. Like they just said, you, they have so many different resources. It's not even funny. And by the more resources you have available to you, the better your investment journey is going to be. So if you were looking for somebody to follow, these ladies are definitely it. So please make sure you go check out the bio. This is the Millennial to Millionaire podcast. And here we don't keep it 100. We keep it 1 million. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you guys so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.